On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means has this man been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Father God, we come before you into your presence to open your word and to hear from you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, each individually to our own hearts, what it is that you would have to say to us this day. You say that we know your voice, that you speak to us, that we will know your voice. So speak to us now. Let us hear anew and know your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. We are still in this season of Easter. We're still wearing white. We're still celebrating the great 50 days, the feast of Easter. And we've been looking at the book of Acts in order to ask the question and attempt to answer the question, what does it look like to live in light of the resurrection? Not just to something that happened in the past, something that we remember and have fond thoughts about, but something that impacts us in the day-to-day. And the book of Acts is a, a great place to look in that because the book of Acts is not the story of what happens when Jesus leaves. The book of Acts is the story of what happens when Jesus ascends, sits at the right hand of the Father, and pours out his Spirit on his people. Jesus is still very much active, alive and well in the book of Acts through the work of his apostles. And what we have before us today in Acts chapter 4 is a dramatic scene where the power of resurrection comes into conflict with the powers of the world. It's, a, it's dramatic because two ways of being, two ways of looking at power, two ways of looking at authority come into collision with each other. You have Peter and John standing before the authorities on one hand, and you have these rulers of the elders and the high priest on the other hand. And these elders, these rulers, are supposedly the people with the power. They're the people who we assume have the real authority. They're the religious elites, the powerful. And Peter, in this sermon, confronts them. He confronts them, and in confronting them, he asks them and asks us to re-examine what they think they know about power and authority in light of the resurrection. In essence, he says, if the dead are raised, then we have to re-examine everything, especially our relationship to power. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the idea of practicing resurrection. To practice resurrection means that every dimension of our lives must be re-examined in light of what God has accomplished in Christ. And we talked about some of those practices. And I want you to keep that phrase in mind 
Because practicing re- resurrection means that we have to re-examine how we think about power and authority. It's easy to think about the resurrection as something amazing that God did in the past, and perhaps to think about resurrection as something amazing that God will do for us in the future. I believe in the resurrection of the dead, as we say in the creed. But what about the space in between? The truth of resurrection means that there is something happening now. And if something is happening now on the basis of resurrection, that's a challenge to us. As N.T. Wright reminds us in his commentary on Acts, he says resurrection always was a radical, dangerous doctrine, an attack on the status quo, and a threat to existing power structures. I don't know if you've ever thought about resurrection in those terms as being radical, as being in some sense dangerous. This idea that God brings life out of death. But even as we look at this passage, looking at verse uh, 7 in Acts chapter 4, or uh, actually verse 5, we see these people gathered, the priests. But when we look at verse 7, we see that these powers have a specific question in mind. So they put Peter in their midst. So it's almost a a picture of them being surrounded in some way. (laughs) They put them in the midst of them. So these guys are surrounding, they're sort of ganging up on them. And they ask this question, and this question shows that they know that something is at stake. Because they say, by what power or by what name did you do this? They're referring back to the healing in in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John come to the temple gate, and there is a man who's been crippled for a very long time, and they heal him. And it causes commotion, and on the basis of that, Peter preaches another rousing sermon, And a number of people believe, and these rulers and elders are not happy about that. So they ask the question, by what power, by by what name do you do this? We might phrase the question in our own way, uh, what gives you the right? Or who do you work for? (laughs) Um, They know that it's not just on their own basis that they're able to do that, do these things. That there's a name, there's a power by which they do them. And in many ways, for all the things that they get wrong, this is exactly the right question. Because they understand that authority is important. They understand that power flows from authority. And they associate power and authority with the word name. All of that is wrapped up in, by what name do you do this? By what name? So Peter starts preaching. And he speaks directly and with boldness about this name. As he puts it, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But verse 8 is the key. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That's the key to everything. Peter is not standing there on his own power. He isn't relying on his own charisma or on his own rhetorical ability. He is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, he is experiencing exactly what Jesus promised that he would experience, what his followers would experience. In Luke chapter 12, so Luke wrote Luke in Acts, Jesus says this, when they bring you before the synagogues, not if, but when, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. 
Peter is experiencing in this moment that promise fulfilled. At the end of Luke's gospel, before he ascends, Jesus says this, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Peter, in this moment, is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is clothed with power from on high. And on that basis, he opens his mouth and he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's the name, that's the power, that's the authority by which we speak, the one who promised to give us his spirit, the one who promised to clothe us with power from on high. And notice what name Peter gives them. He doesn't just say Jesus, he doesn't just say Christ, he doesn't just say the Lord. He says Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I think he's kind of sticking his finger in their eye a little bit at that point. Because he's saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised king of Israel. Oh, and by the way, he happens to be from backwards, Nowheresville, Nazareth. A place of no power. A place of no reputation. A place of no influence. But Peter isn't done at that point because he really twists the knife when he says that this Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the one whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, rulers and elders. It was the Romans who actually did the crucifying, but they were complicit. They were plotting. They wanted Jesus done and away with. They thought that they were going to put down all this nonsense when they put him to death. And lo and behold, here are Peter and John standing before them saying that actually he's alive. And actually, not only is he alive, he's empowered us to heal people like this crippled man. So in that phrase, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, we have this contrast of the two power structures. With the contrast of what the rulers and the elders do with power and what God does with power. What do the rulers and elders do with their power? They crucify. They put down anything that threatens them. They align their resources and their intellect to make sure that they're the ones who maintain, maintain their power. But what does God do with his power? He brings light into darkness. He brings something out of nothing. He raises the dead to life. So what we see in these verses is that these rulers and elders might have some sort of official authority, but they don't have any real power. They can threaten, which they do to Peter and John. They can throw them in jail, which happens quite frequently in Acts, and God just keeps busting people out of jail. They can inflict violence, which we see in the book of Acts, but they cannot bring life out of death. And that is the contrast of the power of the world and the power of God. The power of God brings life out of death. They certainly cannot heal a lame man, as Peter and John did, because they cannot bring life out of death. So Peter, once he's wound up, once he's really twisted the knife, kind of brings it all together, 
draws it all together by quoting a psalm, Psalm 118, that these rulers and elders would have been intimately familiar with. But Peter doesn't quote it straight. He puts his own little modification in it. The stone that was rejected by you, that's the part he puts in. The stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. See, these rulers and elders, they were called to lead God's people. They were called to build something. Specifically, they were called to build up the people of God. But Peter says that they have outright rejected the most crucial thing of all, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the one around whom everything else is built. You can't build anything without him. He's the cornerstone. He's the thing that makes everything else work. The stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. God has done something new. He's building something new. There's a new way of power, a new way of authority, because there is a new day in the resurrection. And so Peter wraps up by saying, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Think back to the original question of the rulers and elders. By what power and by what name? Well, Peter says, I'll tell you about the name. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You crucified him. God raised him up. He is the cornerstone. He's the thing by which God is building up his new people, this new life, and the new day. In the book of Luke, in the book of Acts, um, Luke likes to use this designation name. It's a word he comes back to again and again. And one commentator says that what Luke means by name is the personal, active, and authoritative presence among his people. Jesus, Jesus' is personal, active, authoritative presence among his people. By what name do you do these things? Well, the name of the personal, active, and authoritative Lord who fills us with his presence. And the evidence of that is this, the healing that they're on trial for. Peter's bold proclamation itself is evidence of it because we know Peter. We know what he was like before. We know that he was brash and bold and audacious, but not necessarily in the situations that he should be. <laughs> and here he is brash and bold and audacious in precisely the moment that he's supposed to be because he's filled with the presence of God. And the evidence of this is the witness and the experience of the church through the ages. That people, not just in the book of Acts, but from that time forward until now have been clothed with power from on high. And that God through them, through their gifts, through their calling, through their vocations, through his church has brought life out of death, has brought light into dark, darkness, light into this world. So in this verse 12, when it says Jesus is the only name, we may find that exclusiveness off-putting. But the question really for us is, what does God do with his power? If God is a God who brings life out of death, then he's, he's it. He's the one that we have to put our trust in. He's the one that can bring any life out of our death, any light into our darkness. What does God do with his power? He heals, he saves, he clothes his people with his spirit. He fills them with life and hope and joy. 
So we need to be reminded of this lesson from Acts because it's true for us too. It's not just true for Peter and John. The risen and ascended Lord is still very much alive, very much active. His name is still the name above all names. His name is still the name by, by which we will all bow. Everything in heaven and earth will bow before that name. And what does he do with all of that power? He brings life. He brings healing. He brings his love. And his name, his authority, his power, his presence are all made manifest by his Holy Spirit through his people then and now. So when, when I think about this sermon that's in front of me, I see that Peter's able to do something in four verses that I ne- could never do. <laughs> He's able to speak with poignancy and prophetic proclamation in, in the face of a hostile audience. I do not consider you all to be a hostile audience, um, even though you might be wishing I'd be wrapping it up. You're not a hostile audience. Um, but when I think about Peter and I, and I think about what this passage is saying, I'm confronted with a sobering reality, which is that in my own preaching, in my own teaching, in my own ministry, nice words can only take me so far. Diligent study can only take me so far. These are important things, but they're not the definitive thing. They're not the true substance of things. They're not the thing that actually makes a real difference. Unless I'm filled with the Spirit, unless we're filled with the Spirit, unless God is actually pouring out His Spirit upon us, nothing I ever say can have any lasting effect. That's a sobering reality. Unless the Spirit is truly among us and is at work drawing us to Jesus and the Father, then we might enjoy ourselves together. We might have a nice time. We might sing some nice songs and have warm feelings, but we will have not met with the living God. We need His power. We need His presence. We need His Spirit. Even in the Old Testament, Moses realized this, that after people of Israel sinned in a grievous way, God wanted to be done with his people. And he said, I tell you what, I'm just going to send my angel with you and you're going to take the people into the land. And Moses, in his intercessory role, in his prophetic priestly role, says, that's not good enough. Unless your presence goes with us, then we're just like every other people on the face of the planet. The presence of God, the power of God, is the definitive thing. And it's not just true for ministry and for preaching, it's true for all of us. In our relationships, you know, techniques and self-help will only take us so far. In raising our kids, techniques and self-help and counsel, those things will only take us so far. In our work, in our gifts, in our calling, all the right things, the, the, the diligence, that will only take us so far. We have to be filled. We have to be filled with life. We have to be filled with the Spirit. So Peter's words to the elder are just as fresh and as vital and as bold today as they were back then. He reminds us that God is building something new. He is constituting a new people. And these apostles are at the heart of that. The way Paul talks about it is that it is on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that Christ builds his church, with Jesus being the cornerstone. God is building something new. Christ is the cornerstone, the thing that holds everything else together. And these rulers and elders are part of the old order, the old power, the old world. And these apostles, the same before them, are part of the new order, 
the new power structures, the new world inaugurated on the day that Christ rose from the dead and empowered on the day the Spirit was poured out. Remember that the resurrection happened on the eighth day, the new day, the first day of the new creation. It's a new order. It's a new way of doing everything. And Peter's question to us is, will we be part of the new thing that God is building? Will we be people of the resurrection, people of the new day? People filled by the Spirit of God, clothed with power from on high. Not just as ministers who stand before you, but as God's people, all of us. So as a way of responding, I'm just going to invite everybody to stand. And we're going to pray together. I want to give everybody an opportunity to allow God to speak into what it is he wants to fill up in your life. Uh, Maybe there's areas in your life that feel dead that you need God to bring life into. Maybe there's areas in your life that feel dark that you need God to bring light into. Maybe you're asking the question, how is God asking me to serve him? What are my gifts? What am I calling So let's just close our eyes and come before him. Lord Jesus, I I pray that you would, even now, pour out your spirit on your people, that you would build us up as people of the new day, that we would have a new relationship to power, that we would be filled with the power of your presence. And I pray that you would speak to each heart individually right now. And I just invite you to ask God this question. Where in my life do I need to be filled up with God's power? Where in my life do I need to be filled up with God's power? And just hold that, if if you heard something, felt something, felt an impression, just hold that in your mind. And simply ask the Holy Spirit to fill you now. Holy Spirit, come, fill us with your life. Fill us with your love, with your joy, with your hope. As Paul said, that the Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the spirit that is alive in us. So God, whatever thing you drew drew to mind to each heart, I pray that you would fill that thing up or that you would clothe us even now with power from on high. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the risen and ascended one, the one that rules and reigns even now the one who pours out his spirit upon us. Amen. Please remain standing as we say together the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from life, 
true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please kneel for the prayers of the people. Lord, with one heart and one mind as your people, we ask for your church here and in Dallas and all over the world that you would clothe us with power, that you would fill us with your life, that we would be people of the new day, that we would be people filled by your spirit, marked by his gifts, marked by his fruit, so that all men might be drawn unto you, Lord. Lord, in your mercy, we pray for our country, Lord. We pray for its leaders. We pray for our president, Donald, for our governor, Greg, and our mayor, Mike, and for all those who have authority over us. Lord, we pray that the resurrection would be a challenge to any who have authority in this world, that the truth that life can come out of death would confront our leaders and us every day, Lord, and that on that basis you would bring about justice and truth and righteousness in our country. Lord, in your mercy, we pray the same thing for the world and its leaders, for places of conflict, for places of war, for places of famine and disease, or places that are afflicted by the old power structures. Lord, we pray that you would cast down every high authority that raises itself against you. And we pray, Lord, that you would raise up your church in those places to be a witness to peace and to love and to hope. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray especially for our city. We thank you that you have called us to this part of the city, to East Dallas, to be a people who worship you, to be a people who are being conformed to your image, to become more and more fully human. And we thank you for Central Lutheran and their gracious hospitality to let us meet in their space. And we pray for other churches in the area, Lord. We think of Shoreline and St. John and St. James for Redeemer Bible, for White Rock Fellowship, for Lake Highlands Methodist, all the churches in this area, Lord, that proclaim your gospel. Fill them with your life. Fill them with your spirit. Lord, in your mercy. And Lord, we lift up the names of people in our lives who our need of healing, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Lord, in your mercy. And Lord, we pray 
for those people in our lives who don't know you, who are estranged from you, maybe have even turned their back on you, Lord. And we pray for them in the silence of our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we thank you that we have a great high priest who sits even now at your right hand and longs to hear our prayers, longs to make intercession for us. We pray that you would hear these prayers, that you would answer them in your time, in your way, in your will, to the glory of your name. Amen.